The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to another edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio. I'm your host, Ed Valentine of Big Blue View. And as we get closer and closer to the 2021 NFL Draft, I've got one of my favorite NFL Draft analysts here joining the program today to uh, to help us break down some of the options for the New York Giants. I'm joined by Matt Waldman of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. Matt, I'm always thrilled when you uh, chisel out some time to uh, to join my little show here. Hey, Ed, it's always a pleasure to join this show. It's fun for us to get a chance to sit and talk about players and especially how it relates to, uh, you know, what the Giants needs are. Well, you know, the Giants, you talk about the Giants' needs, and we might as well dive right into this here. And it was brutally obvious entering the offseason that the Giants, 31st ranked in the in the NFL, I think with 11 or 12 touchdown passes, you know, last year total, uh, it was brutally obvious that they needed to go out and find receiving weapons for, for Daniel Jones. All the mock drafts, you have, you know, for months on end now focused on the Giants drafting Jalen Waddle or Kyle Pitts or Devonta Smith or whichever wide receiver happens to, to be there at 11. And the Giants went and signed Kenny Galladay and sort of threw all the mock drafts into an uproar. So I guess where I'm going to start with you is how do you feel about Galladay and what he can bring to the Giants. I really like the signing. And and I think it's because when you look at Daniel Jones and think about what he does well, giving him a big target who can go up and win the ball is a really helpful asset. And I know that Darius Slayton certainly is a, a nice deep threat in his own right who can, who can go up and win the ball on occasion. But Galladay kind of gives you that player who can who can really supplement a quarterback where if he's under pressure and needs to let the ball go and it doesn't have to be pinpoint accurate for Galladay to win 
the the target. And I think that giving Jones a player like that is a real positive. That's a net positive for the offense, especially off play action. And you, we've seen Galladay used in ways where you work him over the middle, you work him up the sideline, off of play action. He He's someone that you can kind of move around a little bit and get mismatches. So I like what they did with him. I think that gives them, you know, a, he's a natural complement to what this offense likes to do in terms of the play action game and in terms of going deep. It just makes it a little bit easier where if Jones isn't pinpoint accurate, he doesn't always have to be now when it comes to a guy like Holiday. You know, your your good friend and mine, Mark Schofield, you broke down Galladay a little bit for us here at Big Blue View, and he says that Galladay is – he calls him a universal fit because he's a guy that can win at all three levels. You uh, you agree with that, uh, that type of an assessment? I do. I think because what you're getting – he may not be the most complete route runner in terms of the full route tree. He may not be – what Odell Beckham was able to do and there's, you know, a handful of players who are great at every route. But what Galladay does well, you can apply to over routes in the middle of the field. You can apply to the deep crosser or the comeback route or the go route slants with that size that he has, the crossing routes. So you, and then you can also throw screen passes to him and you can get some production out of him because of his his strength, power, and quickness. So you're getting a guy who gives you an element in all three ranges of the field, outside and over the middle, even if the routes, you know, maybe he doesn't run the full selection of routes at the highest level, but the routes he runs, he runs well enough and they're varied enough in terms of where you can target him that it's an asset. All right, so the big question now is how does – signing Galladay affect the Giants draft. And John Maris said last week, he said, look, it takes the pressure off of us to the point where we don't have to draft a wide receiver in the first two rounds. And, and I kind of look at that like, okay, so there's no, so, so you're not quote unquote planning to add another wide receiver. And yet if you count Kyle Pitts, you know, wide receiver, tight end, pass catcher. There are four pass catchers in the draft who could go in that top 11. You've got, you've got five quarterbacks probably going to go in that top 10. You've got four, four receivers, including Pitts. If, if it's you, if you're Dave Gettleman and, you know, we're talking Jamar Chase. We're talking Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle, Kyle Pitts. Which one of those four guys are you absolutely going to bang the table at eleven and say if this if if this guy is there, I don't care who else is on the board or what the needs are, I'm taking this guy. Oh, that's a great question because this is probably the deepest wide receiver class that I've seen. And and certainly when you talk about depth, it doesn't mean that every player is going to be a star. In fact, you know, we could sit there and say there's 25, 30 players who have grades that, at least in on my publication, have grades where you could conceivably see how they could develop into at least weekly contributors, if not starters. Now, 
I always like to say, let's take the attrition factor, divide that number by four. And that's probably the number of players who might contribute in the NFL. Um, just because I call it the unscientific attrition factor, but mainly because, you know, guys either lose confidence, they get injured, um, they get placed in situations that may not be best scheme fits for them. Um, but you know, with that all said, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna say this player, he's so good. I, I know that we're just drafting a top talent and that the fact that he fell to us, we've got to take him. I mean, I would put Chase and Waddle both in that situation because for, for Chase, you get a player who can play in the, he can play all three positions in the slot or outside. He's explosive. He posts up well, so you can use him both as a, a deep route artist, a guy who runs the timing routes, but also someone who then on third down that you can let him get his back to the defender and face the quarterback and he plays tough. In those situations, he's excellent after the catch. So you get that element from him that he, he's so good that regardless of whether you have Slayton and Galladay, you can put Chase in the middle and that would, and I know that there's a lot of people who love Sterling Shepard and Sterling Shepard is, is a fine NFL wide receiver, but Chase would be an upgrade to him right away in that, in that scenario. And then if you want to go, four verticals against, you know, quarters coverage, which is really the way you beat quarters. Now you have four excellent receivers to be able to do that. And you can kind of mix and match where you want them to go based on what matchup advantages you want to try and obtain when you have, when you know, with when you have those players. So Chase is there, but Waddle to me could also be the ultimate weapon in this class. I don't think for the Giants, that he's necessarily would be used the best in that scheme and what they like to do. But as a slot receiver who can go up and win the ball, he reminds me a lot. I know people will say Tyree kill, but since you and I are, you know, have been around the block a little bit, we both (laughs) know that we both know of a receiver who played, you know, on the other side of town um, with Chad Pennington by the name of Santana Moss, who was, smaller, explosive, but could go up and win the ball against tight coverage. Jalen Waddle has a lot of that type of game in him. And if Santana Moss were playing today, you know, his career high, I think he had a career high 14 or 1500 yard season once during an era where it wasn't as easy to, to, to earn that type of production. Um, I think he's the type of guy that would be a major, maybe even a bigger star than what he was. Um, and when you look at Jalen Waddle, there's a lot of that to his game. So I could see Waddle in terms of just appeal, but in terms of overall fit, I think Jamar Chase would be that guy that you would have to say, if he falls, you, you've you got to seriously consider him. Well, I, I feel smart now, Matt. I feel really smart because I've been saying for weeks that if I'm Dave Gettleman and Jamar Chase somehow, some way, is there at 11, I might break my hip. Yeah. Actually getting the card in. <laughs> you know, I might break my hip moving that fast. <laughs> and, and the other thing, I keep going back and forth on Jalen Waddle or Kyle Pitts and, 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 you know, we'll talk a little bit about Pitts before we move off the 11th pick, but, 
The other guy that Jalen Waddle reminds me of, and, and, and tell me if you see this comparison, and some of it has to do with with speed and kick return ability and the fact that he killed the Giants for years and years and years. I, I watch Jalen Waddle, and, and I keep having Deshaun Jackson nightmares. Oh, sure. Absolutely. You could, you absolutely could put Deshaun Jackson in that category with Waddle and, and, and look at that because they're both highly efficient players who play tough over the middle. Um, and yeah, that open field ability there, there isn't anybody better coming out of this class in terms of that open field ability, mainly because of the great speed, but he also changes direction so well. He plays with a compact, um, level of, physicality you know I mean he's certainly not a guy that you're expecting to break tackles but he understands how to play in traffic and that's something that Deshaun Jackson did so well and I know that a lot of people will talk about Jackson playing um getting hurt a lot well receivers get hurt a lot and when you look at top receivers you know there's there's probably you know I, I did something recently where I was kind of counting up how many play, how many players over since like 2011 or 2012 had like a top 12 statistical season? How many of them had top 24? How many of them had top 36 statistical seasons at their position? And it's interesting to see that there aren't a lot of guys who have that year after year after year. Or if you count them all up, you know, you see that injuries have a big deal with that. But even with his injuries, Deshaun Jackson's a guy that's among the leaders. I mean, he's been around for a while and he's still, when he's healthy, he still plays at an extremely high level. And I could definitely see that with Waddle. And I'm glad we'll talk about Pitts too, because he's also a very difficult player to, to pass up if he falls that far. Yeah, he is. And, and it's funny because I do a mock draft every Sunday and I try to tell people that until we get down to the last couple of mock drafts, uh, as far as what I do is I do a simulated mock, you know, use Pro Football Network simulator or one of the other simulators, and I make the picks for the Giants. And, and my effort is generally not to be 100% correct. My effort is generally to to create scenarios, to talk about different players, to to give different different views of how the draft could possibly turn out like it. It, it in this past draft you know, i i went into it thinking offensive line because i'm an offensive line i'm a built from inside out kind of guy yeah you know and 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 i think that that if the giants can get a top tier offensive lineman at 11 i i won't complain at all if they do it but the way the draft worked out Panay Sewell and Ray and Rashawn Slater were both gone. I don't feel like like Vera Tucker from USC is 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 a guy that you can take at eleven. So I'm staring at a board with Waddle and Kyle Pitts as the top two players on the board. Probably seven times out of ten, I would pick Kyle Pitts. In this instance, I think just just to kind of pull it and take the pulse of the. Uh, of the fan base and because I really like Jalen Waddle, I took Waddle. And you know, in and I I could flip a coin. So I guess I guess it's kind of a long-winded way of saying let's talk a little bit about 
about Kyle Pitts. Can he play with Evan Ingram? Is he really a unicorn that can play inside and out? And is he a guy that, that would fit in, in what the Giants seem to want to do on offense? Yeah. And with Pitts, I think the, the, the initial answer is yes, he is that type of player that could play inside and outside. Um, and if you compare him with Ingram when Ingram was coming out, you would actually say that Pitts has more promise as an interior blocker. He understands how to use his hands. He can get off the line with the flat back. He can roll through his hips when he punches. He gets good hand position. The, the issues that he has are more about his size and, and the, you know, he's 244 pounds. If you can get him, if you want to use him more often as an inline player, maybe you want him to gain a good 10, 15 pounds of muscle. And if you do that and he can do that without losing that explosion, then you have a player who probably won't overextend as often as he does against larger defenders because of the fact that he's trying to generate more power than he actually has. And that's usually something you see with younger tight ends um, who are a little bit lighter is that when they're, when they're taking on larger defenders, they naturally try to overcompensate and they lose technique as a result of that. But he understands the techniques. He does them well. I think that he's a guy that you can put there. Now the question is, do you really want to? And how often do you want to do that when he has the, you know, the length, the speed, the catching ability, um, just how well he adjusts the wide catch radius and the route running skills to put him, to, to, to detach him and keep him on a wing or have, have him, you know, as an X or even a flanker or a slot man. There's so much that you can do with him in that regard. But I think he can fit because of the fact that you can use him in two tight end sets. Um, now I know with Ingram, it's kind of a, it's kind of a type of thing that if you get him, then you're basically saying Ingram is on a short leash and that his time is coming to an end. With the Giants, if you, if you get Pitts and use him more often on the wing, because you also have such a nice tight end stable of, of guys who can block, you know, like Toy Lolo, um, who is an excellent blocker. So, and then you have Rudolph now. Um, so you have some, and Rudolph isn't exactly a, has never been graded out as a great blocker, but you know, you get a lot of different options there. So I'd say from a fit perspective, for the Giants, if you were looking for him to be your long-term answer to a lot of guys on your depth chart who might be just one-year players for you, then yes. But if you're looking for him, but really the real answer might be for the Giants, you're, if you're drafting him, you're probably thinking of using him away from the formation more like a, um, you know, a Jimmy Graham or, or specifically as a wide receiver, like a big wide receiver. And then you keep your tight ends where you have them. But to me, none of that really makes a ton of sense at, at the end of the day. I mean, I, I could see how it would work. I could see what they're going to, you know, what they might be trying to do. But after you sign Rudolph, after you sign, after you still have Ingram, um, it seems to, and you have, you know, the depth that you do at the tight end position, you could clear that out pretty fast with him, um, and, and move move forward and I like that um, and he's worth that but I think at the end of the day I would think the Giants feel like 
with Rudolph, they've got a good short range receiver who can give you good, a good end zone, a red zone presence. He's very good in the red zone. Um, with Toy Lolo, you get a heck of a blocker who can catch the short range as well. And Ingram is certainly no slouch. It's just him being able to stay healthy, um, when it comes to, you know, his big play ability. So I would probably prefer Waddle in that situation than having Pitts, but it's a, you know, it, it gives you the idea of all the different things that teams are thinking about with a player like Pitts because of that versatility. That's, that's just a part of his game. And, you know, before we move off of 11, the only guy we really haven't talked about is the Heisman Trophy winner. And, you know, when you say the Heisman Trophy winner might be the, the least likely of those four guys or, or, I want to say the least desirable of of those four guys, you know, to to fall to eleven. I mean that that sounds a little bit that sounds a little bit weird, but I honestly think that that's true. I wouldn't be unhappy to land Devonta Smith, but I think I would be more excited, without doubt, to land Jalen Waddle or to land. Uh, a Jamar Chase, like we talked about about earlier. Um, it just what do you see when you look at Devonta Smith as far as his pro potential? I think he's going. I think he's capable of becoming a very good pro because of the route running, the ability to win the ball at at the catch point. Um, he's a smart player. He uses his hands well. The the big issue with him, and it's always going to be an issue with any player who's his size, is can he can he um avoid being rerouted? Can he develop a plan so that he's not basically pinned to the sideline by physical cornerbacks? And you saw evidence of him having the, those issues in Alabama, but again, it's his first exposure to that kind of behavior. I've seen him, you know, during during his career also be able to deal with it and find ways to win. Anyhow, but he's going to have to develop more sophisticated approaches with it. You know, overall, I think, Ed, when you look at this 11th pick, if it were me, you know, certainly Chase would be that guy. Chase and Pitts would probably be those two guys that I would, I would say I've got to consider them at 11, but I would, I'm like you, I would prefer a lineman, especially in this deep wide receiver class, as I mentioned earlier. There are a lot of good slot players that I just think could be an upgrade to Shepard. Shepard's smart. You can plug him in at flanker. You can put him at wide receiver. He'd still be an asset to you, but you can get big playability out of your slot, man. And I think having Galladay on the outside to, to kind of erase some, some of the less than pinpoint accurate throws that, that Jones may have to throw because of pressure. Um, and just that if he's not, if he doesn't get incrementally um, more accurate, then you've got that. But then you could also have some big play guys who in the short area of the field, you can use on RPOs, you can use on screens, on, on the quick cr- hitting crossing routes. Um, you can use up the seams and have him be complete nightmare mismatches against safeties. And there's like six or seven guys in this draft who will likely, you know, at least three or four of them will be around in the, 
in the second and third, maybe even the fourth round that you just think, wow, they could wind up being an upgrade to what we have. Well, that's that's interesting, and I do want to get into some talk about Sterling Shepard because I look at Shepard, and I love Shep, and I think he's been a really good player. He's never been a great player, but every time I think about Shepard, I think about, I forget what year it was that he was drafted, but I think about the fact that I was banging the table for the Giants to draft Michael Thomas that year. Right. And, and they didn't do it because I just thought, and it's a little bit the same with Daniel Jones. I just, I I obviously didn't know what kind of player Michael Thomas was going to turn out to be, but Eli Manning back in the day succeeded. One of the guys who helped make him successful was it was a big strong go get the ball wide receiver like Hakeem Nix and and I always thought you know a, the perfect compliment to Odell Beckham would have been a guy like Michael Thomas a big strong go get the ball kind of guy but you know but but anyway um it, it so it kills me when I think about Shep because it's like Shep's nice but Oh, Michael Thomas would have been a little bit nicer. <laughs> sure. I hear but, you. But, but what I want to ask you about before we get into you know, some real, you know, specifics and, and, and slot guys and, and this and that, there are two players who, when I see it, are getting a lot of love. And the more I read from draft analysts, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing about these guys. As guys that the NFL likes a whole lot more maybe than, than draft Twitter or media draft analysts. And I just want to ask you for, for, for your take on these two guys, because I'll be brutally honest with you. I don't get it when it comes to either guy. All right. I don't get it at all. And so I've got to talk about Rondale Moore from Purdue and Tutu Atwell. You know, Tutu Atwell, you know, I mean, he, he weighs about, he, he weighs about a hundred pounds. So, you know, so, so I, I clearly don't get how you can draft a 160 pound wide receiver at the tail end of the first round, which I keep hearing. So just, just give me your take on, on those two guys, please. Let's start with Tutu Atwell. Um, I don't, I, Tutu Atwell, I, I graded, 65 receivers um, in this class, and Atwell's 38th on my board. Um, so I don't get him either. I see him as you value his speed, and the NFL tends to value speed sometimes to the point that it's overkill. Like, you know, I mean, I, if I were to joke around and, and make fun of, like, you know, toxic masculinity, let's say, and the whole Me Too movement and say that, you know, that – men need to look women in the eye and not at their cleavage, then I would say that the NFL, the NFL's cleavage is speed. And they tend to, when they <laughs> interview players, 
Um, it's like you, the, the player with speed is like, look me in, you, you know, look me in the eye for my route running, not my. Hello, uh, Henry Ruggs. Exactly. You know, <laughs> so, so that's, I kind of feel like that's what happens when it comes to speed. The NFL just like goes overboard. They see speed is their cleavage. It's their complete weakness in terms of their ability to see clearly and have, and carry on a conversation and think critically. And all those things. And so when uh, you look at Atwell. I have never heard it put that way before, but I don't think I'm going to forget that either. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have an article about it, and people laugh because I've actually shown a picture of, um, I think, Ellen DeGeneres looking at someone who had cleavage at, at, at a red carpet event. And people at first were like, Matt, did you get hacked? You know, that when this, uh, and I'm like, nope, that's a real article. Look at it. And they, they laugh when they saw it and they, they enjoyed it, but you can find it at my site. But the, uh, um, you know, you look at Atwell, the combination of him being short and light, you know, 155 pounds, and the, you already watched him, and it's like, yeah, he can, he can win, he can, he can get behind a defense. That's great. He can give him open field or give him light traffic with some blocking. He can navigate that way. That's great. But the wind will blow this guy over. You, I've seen it. I mean, it's <laughs> like he's, He's either, it's either going to get it blown over or if his jersey's untucked, he might just take off and fly out of the stadium like a kite. <laughs> and, and, and so, I mean, I hate to criticize the guy because he's a darn good college player. But at that weight, you're looking at a sub-package player and a returner at best, and why would you spend a first-round pick on that? Like, if you picked him in the fifth round, I would say, okay, you have and you have a specific idea of what you want to get out of him, I get it. But drafting him in the first three rounds, to me, that idea is kind of ludicrous. And then Rondale Moore, I get a little bit more. Now, I don't have him as a top five player. He's my 11th ranked wide receiver. Now, that said, he has a a nice grade for him in terms of, you know, I see him as a player who can contribute right away. I don't think he's the next Steve Smith. Then again, I'm a huge Steve Smith Believer and I'm, and also I was a big giant Steve Smith fan too, but I was talking about Carolina Raven and Ravens Steve Smith, um, that a lot of people are comparing him to. The thing with him is that he's blindingly sudden. So I love his ability to win off the line. And if you could get Rondale Moore in the third round or the bottom of the second round and you know you're going to use him in the slot where he has two way goes to just be you know, use that blinding suddenness to get open early and then just, you know, work through the open field. He can run through reaches and wraps from linebackers. Um, he has that kind of strength. Um, but as he go up and win the football kind of receiver, I think a lot of people compare him to Steve Smith and say that's what's that he's going to be that player. But I didn't see that. I didn't see instances of him going up and winning the ball. Now they have a heck of a wide receiver at Purdue by the name of David Bell that we're going to be talking about next year or the year after who has that kind of size to be able to do that. More maybe be able to compensate with leaping ability, but there are a lot of receivers who have the, have the, who are small, fast, blindingly quick, can get vertical and track the ball. But they don't seem to win. They have mixed results against tight man coverage. Like Brandon Cooks is a good example of that. I would say 
your recent addition of John Ross is a good example of that type of player who's kind of gets, gives you mixed results in contested situations. So with more, I, you know, to me, I think you have to, I see him more as what people hoped Tavon Austin would be as opposed to being the next Steve Smith. Um, so I, I would say I'm not quite with you where I would say I don't get it, but I'm not with those people who are like, he's Calvin Johnson at five, seven, or he's Steve Smith all over again. Um, I don't think he runs a complete enough route tree. He has some work to do with his hand positions. I think that his tracking of the ball in certain instances, not overall, he can track the ball pretty well in a lot of the areas, but there's some isolated instances in terms of types of targets where he doesn't track the ball as well as you'd like to see. And when you add all that stuff up, plus that, you know, he's been kind of, he gets banged up a fair bit from what we've seen thus far. And for a guy who's kind of freakishly large for his small stature, I wonder about that a little bit, you know, I mean, and maybe there's no scientific proof of that, you know, that guys of his dimensions get injured more often, but I just wonder if he's a guy that's going to be able to play well with certain types of muscle pulls and strains and, and bruises and and things that may limit what his quickness just enough that he gets, you know, he gets tied up a little more often than you'd like to see because he, he doesn't, that, you know, there's some players that you see that they can play, you know, Sterling Sharp way back in the day was the type of guy that he could play at 70% and still be a league leader. Whereas some guys, if they're not 100%, you might, they might as well be at 5%. It's all or nothing with them. Right. And, you know, I'm glad you got into the injury thing with Moore because I, I, there's no real scientific evidence that I that I have at my fingertips, but I think uh, at times of you know, guys that get hurt in college are probably going to get hurt in the NFL as well. But but here's what I wanted to ask you about Moore and Atwell and a lot of these quote-unquote schemed catch guys. Now, I understand that a lot of college offense and a lot of the zone read and you know the RPOs and, and, and some of those – single read kind of concepts for quarterbacks a lot of that that quick throw kind of stuff is coming to the NFL but i wonder you know i i have my doubts that a lot of these you know schemed catch guys where you throw the bubble screen or you you swing the ball to them as a glorified running play coming out of the backfield i just i can't get my head around the idea that that stuff will work as well at the NFL level simply because the athletes are better. I watch NFL teams throw bubble screens and for the amount, for the the small percentage of times that they actually work, I I think that teams should basically just throw that play out of an NFL playbook. Um, Do you actually think that a lot of this quote unquote schemed catch kind of stuff can really work at the NFL level? I think in certain cases it can, but it comes down to, it comes down to the talent that you have around you and the talent of the player. To me, what we're kind of talking around here is that the wide receiver may be able to, you may want to be able to fit a wide receiver into a certain scheme and they could function really well. But the difference with Atwell and Moore is this with Atwell, he's definitely a gadget player or a sub package 
player who has a limited number of uses because you're not going to be asking him to run slants against tight man coverage. You're not going to be asking him to run the comeback or the deep out, um, you know, against man to man or work the dig route over the middle, you know, against the thicket of defenders. Now, Rondale Moore has enough route skills that he's not just a gadget player. And I think that's where it comes down to is that if you can look at the player and say, can he stand on his own without being a gadget? Then he's worth your consideration for an offense that, that is going to look to him, you know, more than that. Because the problem though is that I think the NFL sometimes, maybe what happens is that the NFL, and I wouldn't say it's scouts. I would even say it's not even coaches. I would say it's GMs and owners who they see a Tyreek Hill. They see Patrick Mahomes. They see, you know, players like that and they go, let's draft us one of those. You know, they, they think of them as commodities and products as opposed to individuals with intrinsic skills that were brought to the team and were de- developed to their maximum point. But the, but the intrinsic skills were already there and the intrinsic skills were more than just having a big arm or more than just having lightning fast speed. And I think that owners and GM sometimes de-emphasize that thinking our coaches will develop them or they'll develop themselves and we'll put them in the situation where they do the same stuff. We can get that too because I think they're used to seeing things on such a broad perspective of where it's, you know, they, they're looking at it, everything at the 30,000 foot level. And as a result, sometimes they miss the fine details of like, no, we just can't, there's just not another Patrick Mahomes in this draft. No matter, even though you drafted, you know, teams drafted Drew Locke, they drafted, um, you know, Jordan Love, and now they're going to draft Zach Wilson in the early rounds and think because they can make cross body throws and use different arm platforms and scramble around that somehow that's the same thing as what Patrick Mahomes is doing. And what they miss is that Patrick Mahomes had a, you know, photographic memory, Patrick Mahomes, everything Patrick Mahomes did risk wise that looked risky were actually high level calculated decisions with great, um, logic behind them and very, and the risky throws he made were few and far between, even though the perception is that he takes a lot of high risk plays, whereas those other guys were doing, are making the types of plays with no rhyme, no reason because they aren't prepared in that way. They don't have the level of skill, you know, emotionally, technically, intuitively, conceptually that Mahomes had. And so I think that the same thing applies to these receivers. Tyreek Hill grew so fast as a route runner and showed tremendous ability to develop beyond a gadget player. And even when he was just a gadget player early on, the – the Chiefs had enough talent around them that they could afford to use him that way and create mismatches um, until he grew into a full-fledged, well-rounded primary wide receiver paired with Travis Kelsey, the best receiving tight end in the game. And even though people would be critical of guys like Sammy Watkins um, or Nicole Hardman, those are guys too that can help put pressure on a defense in a way that a lot of other teams don't have. So, yeah, I think that I don't believe that you should be drafting gadgets in early rounds. Um, you should be drafting well-rounded players 
who maybe do one or two things great. Um, and more has the potential to be that more than a guy like Atwell. All right, Matt, I want to take a, a quick break here for a word from our sponsors at SB Nation. When we come back, I want to turn to uh, some of the middle and, and later rounds and I've got, uh, maybe a little bit of, a little bit more Sterling Shepard talk as well. So hang in there, Giants fans. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All right, Giants fans, we're back here on the Valentine's Views podcast. Ed Valentine with you talking with Matt Waldman of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. And Matt, before the break... We talked a little bit about Sterling Shepard, and I mentioned that I think that Shepard is a guy who I believe he's got three years left on his contract with the Giants. Really good player, really good Giant. You know, been a contributor for for a, for a number of years now, but never a guy who plays a full 16-game season, guy that's had some concussion issues. I look at this draft and I think, you know, John Mara the other day said, well, we don't need to take a wide receiver in the first couple of rounds. And they've, they've got Kenny Galladay now. Um, they could add another big bodied wide receiver at some point. I know there are some of those guys available, a couple that I really like, but what makes a lot of sense to me, if you're going to start considering wide receiver again, say around round three. Let's take John Mara at his word that they're not going to draft a receiver in round one and round two. And, you know, we, we know what that's worth sometimes, but still, we'll take him at his word. What makes sense to me is to look for a guy who could be a long-term replacement for Shepard, you know, in the slot, in a, as a traditional, you know, slot-type guy. So, I mean, I have, I have some names in mind, but, you know, if we're talking about, 
you know, third, fourth, fifth round, you know, whatever. Give me some of the guys that, that you think, you know, might, might fit that bill. Certainly. And I'm going to give you kind of, I don't know if he's conventional or unconventional, but he's one of my favorite receivers that I think has real growth potential. And I think he's good now, but may need a year to really show how good he can be. And that's Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota, who's 6'2", 210, who reminds me a bit of Michael Thomas. And and you could use him inside, and I think he would give you an upgrade at the catch point. He'd give you an upgrade also um, after the catch. He's fantastic after the catch. Um, and he's you know he's got the the burst and speed. He's, he's big enough at 6'2", 210. And he's the type of player that is very comfortable making plays in the middle of the field um, in terms of his route running. And I think he has real potential as a press release guy. But if you put him right away as a two-way go option, you kind of get a Michael Thomas, Keenan Allen type of player with a little bit of that Cordero Patterson ability to run after the catch. That could really be nice for you because you could keep him in the slot and have him supplant Shepard eventually but you could also move him outside and you can, and that gives you additional flexibility at that position. If you're going to look more traditional, you know, Kadarius Tony's probably going to be gone as a slot receiver in the first two rounds. But if he fell to the third round, um, you know, you're getting a golden Tate like player when Tate was a lion, you know, which is, you know, 1100 yards, 1200 yards from the slot, 90 to 100 catch type of potential great skill after the catch. Um, you could wait a little bit later. Amari Rogers will probably be around and, you know, five, nine, two, twelve. I know some teams worked him out as a running back. Um, but he's kind of a, you know, kind of a Randall Cobb, Devin Duvernay type of player who has enough speed to stretch the field. Um, he can win the contested ball. He's a very smart runner. I don't think he's a dynamic runner, but he's a smart runner. He's going to get you. He's going to be a solid grab for you that I think would be an upgrade to what you get from Shepard. A guy who could give you a little bit of that Jalen Waddle type of vibe a little bit later in your draft is North Texas receiver Jalen Darden. 5'9", 174. The guy's like a, I mean, basically like a puff of smoke when you, you know, in the short area. I mean, someone, you can have a linebacker get within a foot of him and there's no way they're even going to lay a hand on him after the catch. Makes a lot of people miss. Um, I think he's a, a solid pass catcher who has real suddenness to his game. Uh, and Akeem Nix guy, a couple of guys who remind me of Akeem Nix, but you could probably work inside as a bigger slot and have them work back outside would be guys like Cornell Powell, Powell of Clemson and Josh Palmer of Tennessee both in the six feet, six one, two oh five, two oh ten range, who could really be nice. And then, you know, if you just want to get a replacement to Shepard, who reminds me a, a lot of him, it's Amon Ra St. Brown. Um, you know, but I would say that, you know, instead I would go more dynamic. I'd look at a guy like Simi Fehoko out of Stanford, six three, two twenty two. I think he functions best as a big slot. And he could be a, he could be a really nice get for, um, for the Giants in terms of using him at that size. Or if you want to go speed and look at a guy like Dwayne Eskridge, who is a fantastic blocker. So if you used him as a traditional slot at 5'9", 190, you're also getting a guy with like Santana Holmes type of blocking skill, 
which was substantial. I mean, this is a, this guy's a bully. I like to joke and I say it in the most complimentary way. He's kind of a little punk in terms of the way that he blocks people because he gets under people's skin. Just in, he gets to the edge to where the defender wants to fight him and then he pulls back and starts um, baiting those defenders in ways where he starts drawing pen, the defenders start drawing penalties on him. I mean, he plays the mind games extremely well and he's got that four, 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 three speed, um, and, you know, dynamic in the middle of the field. So those are some guys that come to mind right away. What about, uh, Tylen Wallace? I love Tylen Wallace. And if you want to view him as a slot, then yeah. If you can get him in the third or fourth round, I think you're getting one of the five to six best receivers in this class and uh, and a guy who can win the ball, um, but also has that, you know, that toughness um, as a blocker and runner. He has good route skills. Um, I think he's a fantastic player. Um, he reminds me a lot of like a little bit of a combination of guys like Stefan Diggs. Deontay Johnson of the Steelers, and if you remember Andre Risen, he kind of has that upside of an Andre Risen who can play inside and outside, win downfield. Terrace Marshall would be another big slot that would be fun at 6'2", 205 out of LSU. I mean, there's a guy also that you give the flexibility that you can work him outside, inside, and not a big deal either way. You can do both, and and you're giving yourself, to me, there's a lot of players who give you that kind of Chris Godwin-like potential. And if you think about how good Chris Godwin was for the Buccaneers, where he could play inside-outside, he was their most well-rounded receiver, as good as Mike Evans is. Um, and I think that he's he's such a he's such an asset to a team because of that flexibility. And there are a lot of players like that in this class. All right, so here's a philosophical question for you. And as you've been running through the list, it kind of reminded me that this is actually something I wanted to ask you about. And it has to do with we know when you look at the running back position, you know, there is a theory that I happen to believe in that that you really shouldn't draft running backs early in the first round. And there's a lot of history you know, that shows that so many of the, the really good running backs or that you can find so many of them middle rounds, late rounds. I mean, the Jacksonville Jaguars had a thousand yard rusher last year that was, that was an undrafted free agent out of a small school. So as much as I love Saquon Barkley, it's not necessary to always draft the best running back in the class at the very top of the draft to to have a good running game. And and we've seen in the last few years so many of these guys, DK Metcalf and so many other guys that have been drafted on day two, the Giants with Darius Slayton in round five, so many of these really good wide receivers on day two and day three in the draft, and yet so many of these first-round wide receivers, John Ross, Nikhil Harry, you know, you, you can go on and on. Guys that, that didn't justify being first round picks. Are we getting to a point with wide receiver where it's a little bit like running back where y- you might be, you know, better advised to, to wait until day two? I think that, 
you know, philosophically, I think it, it it's really about how you build your team and where your team is at. And I think it just still comes down to that. So for me, you know, if I were building a team, I'm like you, I would build from the inside out. I'm a big believer that, that you would start with. And to be honest, I, you know, I would start, you don't need to get a center in the first round, but I would certainly be drafting centers higher than a lot of people would just because of how much they, they really make an offensive line have any type of cohesion. And that cohesion is more important than having one or two great talents and then no cohesion whatsoever. So I would build inside out with the line first um, and have, and then I would work towards getting my, my, uh, my skill player talents. But with that said, um, th- there's enough, when you look at the class, especially this class, there's enough depth that you can make that argument. And I think that in recent years, we've seen enough depth with the past two classes that you can make that argument, but things run in cycles. So we, you know, if we get too used to the idea that you could just do that with, with wide receivers, then it'll probably be that year when there's really just not enough depth <laughs> at the position. <laughs> um, so I would say over the past couple of years, if you happen to be in a situation where you're like the Giants, where, you know, listen, you've got your quarterback in terms of this is, you know, that you're going to be, you're going to have him, you're going to have Daniel Jones through that rookie year contract, and then you'll decide whether or not he's a guy you want to resign. You know, he's not a guy that you're dumping at the side of the road after two years. Um, you feel pretty good about where Barkley's going to be. You've got reinforcements at wide receiver that can, you know, that should be able to give Daniel Jones some help, um, and give you a, at least an upgrade in Kenny Galladay right there. And you've got Ingram back healthy. To me, the idea is, is yeah, why would you, why would you go overboard on wide receiver in the first two rounds when there is a possibility that a Tylen Wallace or a Rashad Bateman can fall to you in the third round or a Rondale Moore, even if you know, you don't personally like get the guy, the fact that he could be your slot receiver in the third round. If for some reason he fell that far, that wouldn't be a bad thing, you know, in terms of what he has to offer if he stays healthy. Um, so I think, I think this, the answer is yes, for this year you can wait. Um, and, and especially with the, you know, but at the same time, you know, it's something where it's because of the way the Giants are building and the way they've been built. All right. I want to ask you quickly about a couple of other position groups before we wrap it up. Now, the Giants have Saquon Barkley, and we think he's going to be back to being Saquon Barkley in 2021. We think he's going to be healthy and all of that. And they added Devontae Booker in in free agency and and it's a little bit more money than, than I would have paid for Booker and all of that, but you know, but whatever. So they've got their veteran backup running back. But I am firmly convinced that they are going to add one more back before the season starts. And I mean, that might be a veteran free agent who shakes free in the summer or shakes free when the, uh, when, you know, when teams start to, to make cuts. But if they were to look in the draft, and I'm, I'm probably looking at, I'm probably looking at day three type guys, you know, round four through, they've got picks in the fourth round, they've got picks in the sixth round. 
could you give me, you know, a couple of, of running backs that you think that, you know, would be really good fits, maybe as pass catching backs or as third backs, you know, for, for the Giants, um, you know, to, to, uh, to add a little depth to their backfield? Oh, absolutely. You know, so say, say Khalil Herbert of Virginia Tech falls to the fourth round. Um, this is a Dalvin Cook type style of player. Um, who would be very good in the zone schemes and that the Giants run, but also can run gap. Speedster with excellent movement skills can break tackles. Um, you know, his, his pass protection can get a little bit better. Um, but I think he's a decent receiver, but if he falls, I think you kind of got, you got to have a conversation about grabbing him. Kylan Hill is an underrated back who also, if he falls to the fourth round, terrific pass catcher. But also a sturdy runner with excellent footwork who just got lost in Mike Leach's system. And I think a lot of that had to do with their quarterback play. Um, but that guy, that guy can play. You're going to want to consider him. But then probably later rounds, you're looking at Jared Patterson out of Buffalo, who may never be D'Angelo Williams, even though he kind of looks a little bit like him in style. He doesn't quite have that. I don't think he's going to gain that 20 pounds and get faster. Um, but he can catch. He's someone that's a smart runner. Um, he's a high effort runner. Um, a good all around football player. And then, you know, if Ramondre Stevenson falls to the fifth rounds, 5'11, 230, I think this guy could be a starter one day. Um, I don't think he's going to fall that far, but he's one of the best pass protectors in this class. Um, and then I would say Jamar Jefferson might be intriguing. Um, or Kenneth Gainwell. If, and Gainwell might get overdrafted. But Jefferson's a guy who probably can play, he runs outside zone extremely well, terrific speed, um, good size at 5'10, 217. Um, I think he has a real high floor, um, you, you know, and someone that, um, could be a nice backup for them. And Gainwell, I think he's going to get drafted much higher, but to me, he's at his best. He could be the next Tiki Barber in terms of, his ability, if he gains weight and gains a little more explosion, but if he can't, and this is a guy who stayed out for the year and only gained four pounds and didn't gain much explosion to his game, might wind up being a little bit more of a Ronnie Hillman type. But, um, you know, if the team feels like this guy's worth growing, that might be an option, you know, to consider. But yeah, the, the first three to four are the guys that I think if you can get in the fourth or fifth round, you're doing great. Last question, Matt. I've got to ask you to run through some uh, some tight ends, and and I will I will admit, before the Giants signed Kyle Rudolph, I was looking at Pat Fryermuth out of Penn State, thinking that he would be a really really nice fit, you know, for Jason Garrett as that traditional NFL type tight end to do the red zone and 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 short area stuff that that. Uh, that is sort of, you know, traditional uh, tight end kind of turf. Uh, just, just thoughts on, on Fryermuth and, and, uh, you know, maybe a couple of other tight ends that you like in the class. I love Pat Fryermuth and I, I'm with you. Like terrific blocker, probably the best blocker in this class at the, at the position. Um, and, and I've seen in a couple years probably in terms of his ability to just get his hands into people and the effort, but he's also a very good pass receiver with soft hands, great adjustment. He just doesn't have speed. Um, so you're looking at kind of like a Heath Miller 
type or if we as somebody I heard on Twitter when I mentioned him called him um Rob Slokowski um as you know <laughs> so but I like Slokowski and and Slokowski Slokowski's quick enough that he can get up the seam if you need him to he's just not a big game breaker um after that Hunter Long's a workmanlike player who's got enough speed to get up the seam for you. I think he can develop as a blocker, and he's got that size you're looking for. Um, I think Sean Beyer is an interesting guy out of Iowa, 6'5", 250. And when, you're, when your old alum, George Kittle, says, I like how this guy moves, and he's a former wide receiver with great ball skills, I think he's going to develop a little bit more as a blocker and has a lot of room for growth. Um, so he's a guy that wouldn't be bad in the mid to late rounds that you could consider. Um, Trey McKitty out of Georgia is an effort blocker with good run after the catch ability. He kind of, he really has the ability to work through traffic well. Um, I just don't know how big he's going to be able to be, to get for you as a player. Um, but then, you know, and a sneaky good player might be John Bates out of Boise State as a late round guy. I don't think he's ever, he's not a speedster. He's not going to be a, a complete downfield weapon for you, but he's got soft hands. He can get open in zones and he's got some real skills as a blocker. Um, there's a nice tape of Zach Ertz, who's did some mentoring with him to, um, on YouTube where you can find Zach Ertz actually talking about John Bates's game for about, I think a good half hour to an hour. Um, so those are some guys that come to mind right away. All right. Hey Matt, always appreciate the time. We could, uh, I, I could do this with you for hours on end, but uh, you know, but, but it is a beautiful day outside. <laughs> As I look out my window and, and I think people have listened to us talk uh, quite enough here. Yep. So I know that, uh, that you're, uh, that your, your scouting portfolio, I believe it's out for the year at this point. Why don't you tell folks a little bit about that, where they can get it, where they can find your work, all that good stuff. I appreciate it. You can go to mattwaldman.com, W-A-L-D-M-A-N, mattwaldman.com. And the RSP is a 16 year old public, annual publication. Um, and it came out April 1st indeed. Um, you get a pre-draft and a post-draft edition. Um, the pre-draft edition this year is 1,058 pages. About 900 of them are content covering 150 players at the quarterback, running back, wide receiver position. It is one of the most viewed draft guides by NFL people independent of their own work, according to um, college recruiters I know who work in Division One and work with um, scouts who come through on a weekly basis. Um, and you know you get you get to see my whole process. I'm rooted in operations, um, you know, training, and basically took best practices in monitoring performance and used that to develop my process for studying players um, over the span of these past 16 years. Um, and if you're a fantasy player, you'll know from you know, if you're big in the dynasty leagues, then you'll know that it's become a, a major resource for a lot of dynasty people um, in terms of how they play. Because I give a, I, I root everything in football, but I do give a dynasty or give a fantasy football kind of tilt to some advice that I give after I give the hardcore start um, scouting info in terms of position, you know, position techniques and concepts and skills. And the post draft is a part of that. You get put on a newsletter where I preview 
2022 prospects as well as give updates to 2021 players. And all that's available for $21.95. And I give a percentage of that um, of sales since 2011 to Darkness to Light, which is an organization devoted to preventing sexual abuse of children, um, as well as so they give training to government organizations, universities, civic groups, individuals, um, and they also work on trying to help all of these individuals and groups understand how to address that situation when it does unfortunately happen so it doesn't compound the problem. Um, so it's a great organization, and I actually already made a donation to um, for the year to them today of about of about four thousand dollars. Um, so I, uh, you know, and that's, I'll probably be given another thousand by the end of the, by the end of the year to that organization, really proud to represent to them. And, uh, and yeah, that's the RSP and you can find it again at mattwaldman.com. All right. And folks, nobody studies, uh, skill position players the way this guy does. So, uh, so spend the money and, uh, and you'll be a, a much smarter football fan. Matt, thank you as always. Giants fans, thank you for listening. Please remember, stay safe out there, take care of each other, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye bye.